Welcome to the Dad Vengers podcast, sponsored by Tonka, because being tough is all about getting out and playing. I'm Nigel Clark, TV presenter and performer, and I'm also host of this wonderful podcast where we explore different aspects of parenting and hone in on the dad point of view. And mums, grandparents, carers, we want you involved in the conversation too. So let's talk, let's laugh, let's share the things we find difficult and become the type of dads we really want to be. Today I am joined by a disability rights activist and doctor. As a father of two, today's guest has had to learn to parent with a disability after losing his sight before his children were born. And if that wasn't enough, he's also written a book about his experience. I'm pleased to introduce to you another amazing dad venger. It is Dr. Amit Patel. Hi, Nigel. Hey, Dr. Amit. It's great to have you here. I'm so pleased that you could join us. I've been looking forward to this. You know, talking about kids, I can do it all day long. Oh, and you have two kids, don't you? What are their names? Okay, so we have Abhishek, who is four and a half, who thinks he's about 15 years old. Um, and then we have Anushka, who's 20 months old, but she thinks she's a good, I think she thinks she's about 10 years old. Um, she's way too independent for my liking. Girls get like that sometimes, I find. My daughter, Sienna, is the same. Very, very independent from an early age. You know, having a boy and a girl, my, my, my son was very relaxed growing up. You know, when he was a toddler, he's like, oh, just carry me. I'm too tired. I can't be bothered doing this. When my daughter's the opposite, she's like, no, don't carry me. I'm running. I'm running. I'm running. I'm jumping. I'm now climbing all over the furniture. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a fun time. Yeah. Now, Anushka, being 20 months, that means she was about, what, six months when we started lockdown? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, she really hasn't seen, she hasn't been out and about as much, obviously, as um, as my son has. Um, even now, even when we take a little walk and she hears the sirens of a police car or an ambulance, she, she literally grabs my legs with all her might and just squeezes because she's just not oh. used to it. Or if she sees a crowd of people walking towards us, um, Kiki, my guide, will kind of just move out the way slightly because she kind of, hog hogs the the curb um and Anushka would just freak out she just you know a, a mass of people she's just not used to um so it, it's very very different um but slowly slowly she's kind of getting used to it you know um back at back at nursery a few days a week now um she's seeing a lot more people she's her confidence is building up but she's she's definitely a lot lot slower when we're out and about than she is kind of running around in the garden or the house or anything she's very conscious that there's people around there's noises around and it kind of freaks her out slightly that's very very interesting and I'm going to come back to touch upon that a little bit later but first let's find out a little bit more about your situation now you lost your sight one year into your marriage is that right yeah it's uh I've so I've always had an eye condition um it was it wasn't I have a condition called keratoconus um, and it's where the corners kind of protrude out of your eye slightly and they kind of become like very much like pyramids kind of coming out of your eye. So it means that the light can't hit the back of your, your retinas correctly. Is that basically right in front of the pupil and um, the, the clear bit in front of it? It's the windscreen of your eye, basically. It's that clear membrane you have that protects your eyes. So that kind of droops and kind of goes a bit saggy and then kind of falls out of your eye, but it's still attached in a weird way. Um, it's, it's a condition that's usually picked up by opticians when you, when you go and get your eyes checked. Um, I always wore glasses from, from a young age, but I had no issues with, with my corneas at that time. It was only at university. Um, I started getting headaches. I couldn't quite see the, the text on, on, on my books clearly. And that's when it was diagnosed that this is the condition I had. 
So for a few years, we had little glass lenses uh, kind of fixed to my eyes to kind of push the corners back just to kind of give it the pressure. And every evening I'll take them out. It got to a stage where I had these big lenses, which were very much like mini pasta bowls, which had a big kind of void in the bottom of them where you have to fill them up with liquid and then pop them into your eye without losing any of the liquid and they'll sit on there all day long. But by the end of my shift at hospital, by when I, when I was working, you'd see this kind of tide line on there because the liquid would evaporate and kind of disappear. Oh, wow. And it would look like my eyes were behind like some, some behind the fish tank, I guess. Um, so, but for a few years, kind of wore those, got used to it and then had to have a transplant. So basically you take off my corners and have a, a transplant of, of someone else's corner and they're stitched on into the eye. And I had I had quite a few of those procedures, um, but it never we never really thought about sight loss. You know, we might think that you know I might lose a little bit of my vision. We correct them with lenses and glasses on top. Never really thought that I would ever lose my sight. So when I when I did fall in love and get married, you know, see see my, my wife knew all about the transplants and everything, but we never really spoke about sight loss. We always said, uh, well. If this happens again, you know, we always have to make sure there's enough money in the bank to kind of have, have, a, have a procedure because it was at that stage, there's nothing else we could do in the UK. So it would have had to be in abroad, um, but never spoke about, never really spoke about, you know, if I'd ever lose my sight. And then it literally happened overnight. Yeah, it was. It was um, a late late evening from work, drove back from, from London. We lived in Guildford and Surrey at the time, drove back, had dinner with Seema. Uh, and this was about 11 o'clock. Um, had dinner with Seema, she went off to bed, I catched up with a bit of paperwork, listened, watched a bit of TV, listened to some radio, went to bed, woke up the next morning to kind of feel grittiness in my eyes. Um, and having so many corneal transplants, I'm kind of used to it. I thought, you know, go, go into the bathroom, splash a bit of water on my face, um, clean out the grit. Uh, it was only when Seema noticed the blood on the pillow that, that we actually realised something serious was wrong. And even after washing my eyes, nothing really cleared it up. So it was um, a rush to, to the hospital where they said there's too much blood around the eyes to actually be able to know what's wrong. So they bandaged them up and they said, we'll give it a couple of days, take the bandages off and, and then we'll go from there. Uh, obviously, two days later, they, they unbandaged the eyes and I can see a thing. I completely lost my sight because what had happened is they believe that a little blood vessel had popped in the back of my eyes and it literally just set off the fireworks. And, and that was it. Oh, I'm so sorry. But it, that must have been such a scary time. Yeah, it was. Do you know what? It was, I think, a little bit of adrenaline, a bit of fear. I kind of, I wasn't quite sure what was going on. Obviously, being, being a doctor in the back of my head, I kind of knew that I don't think I'd ever get my sight back. But then you kind of want to hold on to something. You kind of want to, well, I thought, you know, if it went so quickly, we might be able to get it back. or might be able to get partial sight back. I don't think I ever... I don't think I ever wanted to think about me being blind for the rest of my life. Um, because at that time, you know, just, just being married, me, me, just weeks before, Seema and I were talking about where we wanted to kind of set up our home, you know, where we wanted to move and start a family and what, where we wanted to, to visit before we had kids. And all these conversations are only weeks old. Um, and then now, obviously, life had just turned upside down. So it was it was a hard, a very difficult time, but I, I guess for me, it, it was, I guess, I'm so used to people coming to me for help. 
um, and then having to rely on others, especially especially something so serious like sight loss. You know, I, it's not as if I can go and do some research or go and check what's around or, or get in the car and drive to see a consultant. It's you've, I had to rely on others, and that was that was very much the hard part for me. It's a total shift, isn't it, in in your independence? It's from one extreme straight to the other with nothing in between. It was it was very much like a, a light switch, you know, being being flicked on and off. It's you know my that was the end of my career. It was it the last day of my job was the, the you know the day I got back. Um, it was it was so many. It's always thoughts in my head. You know, am I ever going to remember what my family, my wife, anybody looked like? Am I you know if I had if I had an idea that I was going to lose my sight, I would have you know. A, I would have a game plan, I guess. I'd, I'd, I'd know where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do, who I needed to contact. But being so sudden, it, that, that's what was the, the, the hard part, I guess. It was not being able to prepare for it. Um, and then having to, to deal with, with all the consequences of being sight, you know, having sight and losing it. And now what do we do? You know, we went from a two-income household to a one-income household overnight. Right. So, you know, Seema still had to work. Seema still had to go into London every day to, to go to work. And I had to start living a life without sight and, and kind of, I guess it was, it was frightening because everything you do, you do with sight, with even, you know, you do things without thinking about it. You know, you, you, people joke about, oh, I could do this with my eyes closed. But for me, that was, that was reality. Now I I would have to remember where things were, where I left things, you know, where the stairs were in the house, where, you know, where to find the bathroom door, you know, all of these kind of things. But on top of that, I was on so much medication that my fingers were numb, my, my feet were numb. So even taking steps, I wasn't quite sure whether I'd planted my foot on the floor or not. So I'd fall over, I'd fall down the stairs. Um, and you think, well, and, and then you're angry with yourself because you, to me, it's like, well, I know the layout of my house, but why can't I get around? Um, and then, you know, all that anger kind of builds up to frustration and then and it just creates more anger. And then you just don't know where to go, who to turn to, what to say. And for me, I shut down completely. I'm, I'm as you can tell, a very chatty person. <laughs> but for about three months in my house, I don't think I said a word because I wasn't sure what to say or what to do. I can even now feel the emotion in your voice of of just going back and remembering it and feeling it and yeah oh I, I cannot imagine um you mentioned that you know you were you were in an early stage in your relationship with Seema and you were planning about having families and and all of that did your plans for family change you said you you didn't talk for three months in those three months were you thinking about things like do I still want to have children no, I think I think those three months in my head was very much how do I get back on my feet again? Um, it was that whole thing where I would have to look after myself and, my, and, and you know before I could even think about anything else. I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky. I, I have an amazing wife. You know, see, see, all all the burdens fell on Seema. You know, she had to find the resources. She had to figure out you know is that okay you know I could barely tell if it was day or night or anything at all it was just I was in my own little world just trying to kind of get to grips with my sight loss uh, and Seema had to pick up all the pieces around that and also the thoughts in my head like well if Seema goes I wouldn't blame her because all this is you know she didn't sign up for any of this and the weird thing is people would say 
random people just say, say you know oh you know see my poor you you're gonna have to look after Amit for the rest of his life you, you know you married a doctor now you are you know you're gonna have to look after him but Seema to her credit would say well no I married Amit I didn't marry a doctor I married Amit Amit's in there you know this is this is this is nobody could have predicted this nobody could have predicted this in the future you know that still would happen but you know what I believe in Amit and Amit will get through this when he does get through this we'll carry on and she always had that hope. And even when I lost that, when I completely lost all faith that I would be able to get back on my feet again, she would always have her arms around me and say, no, don't worry, Amit, you, you'll get there. And it just takes time. And she always said to me that, you know, it's, it's, it's like you, when, when you accept it, when you get to that stage where you're ready to move forward, I'm here for you. And you kind of hold on to li these little things. But the one thing that really changed it for me is she was at work one day. Uh, and I was at home and my dad popped around and my dad, my, my dad, we're having a cup of tea and, and I, all these months, I would never cry in front of my dad. I wouldn't tell him just how much pain I was in because my eyes feel like someone's rubbing chili powder in them 24 seven. And even right now, that's how it is. And I, and I deal with that every single day, but at the beginning, obviously it was really intense. Um, my, my eyes were constantly streaming with blood. Uh, they looked like, they looked like cat's eyes. There was no structure to my eyes whatsoever. And I was having a cup of tea, trying to kind of keep a smile on my face. And I broke down, completely broke down in front of my dad. And my dad came over to me and he put his arms around me. And I said, Dad, why? Why is this? Why do I have to go through this? What, you know, what have I done so wrong in my life that I have to go through all of this pain? And my dad said, because you can get through this, Emmett. That's it. He said, you know, like everything in life, you focus on something and you achieve it. You know, if you fall down, you get back up again. And he said, this is just it. You know, this is what you've been working towards all these years. And we all have faith in you, but you've got to do this by yourself. You've got to get to that stage in your life where you're ready to move forward. And that, re and that point in my life is when I needed to hear my dad say that to me. And, you know, it's that father-son thing where what he said was so true. Everything, the way I was brought up, and me and my brother brought up, you know, is very much... You are your own person. You do what you want to do in life. We're here to help you, but we're not going to give you anything. And everything that we worked, I, well, I worked up towards was that point. And I thought, do you know what? This is so true. This is, this is something I really just needed to hear. And I think I had my guard down. So it wasn't something that bounced off me. It's something that actually I listened to. And I thought, this is, I want to get better. I want to be able to make the best of my life, even with sight loss. So even 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 thinking about kids wasn't an option then you know it was very much just get back on your feet again and and, and go from there wow you speak about your father so so well had you always had that close relationship with him yeah do you know what my, my dad is is such a character he knows i have no attention span for anything whatsoever unless i enjoy what i'm doing you know there's no way you can you, anybody can say i mean do this and i will do it because if i don't if i don't enjoy it i won't i won't it just doesn't work um but my yeah my parents are very much just let us be who we wanted to be it, we, we were never pushed into anything it was if you don't give it a go you're never going to know if you like it or not um you know and whatever you have in life you have to work hard for then it's the only way you can appreciate it looking back at that now that's what I want to be you know my parents are very much that kind of focus I have at the type of parent I want to be you know uh, you know it's easy enough to give your kids things but I want my son to, to make the mistakes. I want him to appreciate, you know, he has to work hard to get something and not just be given things when he wants it. But it's hard to do that sometimes. Yeah, it must be. It must be very hard to do. But 
you you've had to adapt to so much in maybe a short space of time and you you've done so well with that I don't think that um, adapting to being a parent would have been too much of a struggle for you how have you had to adapt as a parent do you know what when when we found that we were expecting our first child it was it was it was kind of out the blue because we went we weren't planning to have kids. It just happened because we were at the right, you know, right time in our life, I guess. We were we were kind of happy. I think Surprise! It, it a, You're pregnant. Yeah, that's, that's exactly <laughs> it. It, it, it. I think I think we we got to a stage where it was, you know, Sigma was very much focused on me for a long time. Even when she'd go to work, she's, you know, how's Amit doing? I hope Amit's coping okay. You know, I'm out and about with my white cane. I hope he's not lost. You know, you should get the odd phone call here and there saying, I think I'm here. Can you have a look on your GPS map to see where I am on your, you know, and she'll say, oh, you're a good mile away from where you think you are. And, you know, all this kind of, so she's constantly worrying. Then Kika obviously came along, my guide dog, and she kind of, gave me the confidence and that independence to kind of be out and seem to stop worrying. And we kind of went from thinking about sight loss all the time to, to being a couple again, in a nice way. We Sight loss was there, but it wasn't, it wasn't the first thing you think about. We were at, we were back. We, I think we kind of got back to that kind of first year of being married again. Um, a few years later, it was, it was, we were happy. We were so happy. So when, when Seema said, we're expecting it wasn't oh my god what do we do it was it was actually joy it was actually proper good joy just to think oh my god we we can do this you know and and i remember sitting down with Seema. we're having we're having, a, having a cup of tea and i've kind of got the little shakes going on because I, I don't think i've been that happy ever and i said look if i'm going to be a father i want to be the best father i could possibly be and i'm kind of holding Seema's hand saying this and i'm like you know, whatever it takes, whatever we have to do, I want to be hands-on. I don't want to listen to you kind of doing all the things. I, I want to I want to do everything every other father dreams of doing, you know, apart from obviously teaching my kids how to drive. But one day, maybe, who knows? <laughs> but it was, it was that. It was, it was, I want to do nappy change. I want to, I want to, I want to make the formulas. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to change the baby. I want to take it out. And Seema's like, yeah. Well, I don't expect less of you. You know, this is what you 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 know, this is what you're going to do regardless. That's what you, you got to do, mate. Whether you like do it or not, exactly. And I think I think it was it was her belief in me that oh yeah, I, well you can do this. Why can't you do this? That kind of made it even more exciting. We are so happy to have Tonka as our sponsor this series. Basic Fun's Tonka collection is packed full of fun vehicles for kids who want to get out and get tough with their toys. So dads, you've got no excuse. Grab that Mighty Steel Classic truck. It's time to head to the sandpit for some tough play. Now to give us a little bit of insight into some of the changes you had to make, can you tell me about some of the funny moments that have happened? Like, cause changing a nappy as a man, you're going to get some moments or, you know, there's, there's lots of different things. There's pseudocreme moments. There's all oh. sorts of moments, but I want to know for you as, as a father, I want to know some of the funny or interesting moments that might've happened to you that may not never have happened to us. The one thing you don't prepare for, for with a boy is when he wheeze, when you're just, you've taken a nappy off and you think, Oh, okay. So you're having a bit of a playtime. Oh, hello, Abby. How are you doing? And then you just kind of feel this warm liquid just all over your front. 
and you kind of think, oh my gosh, what's, what's going on? You realize that you should have put your hand just in front of, you know, all these little things. But I think the worst thing was, was I think when, uh, when we were getting him into pants, you know, kind of potty training him, um, he would walk around in the, in the, in the living room and I said, daddy, I've just had a poo-poo. I've just had a poo-poo. And I'm like, okay. So I've kind of <laughs> go in there thinking it's time to change Where? him. But yes, but he's, I've taken it off. I'm like, what are you taking what off? Nappy, nappy off. I'm like, what, what do you mean you're taking it off? Uh, off. And then he walks over to me and I can feel that he's got nothing on. And then I'm on my hands and knees trying to find this nappy, oh, which is the worst thing in the world. But I think, I think the funniest moment was when I was giving him a bath one day and I kind of heard the bubbles and I'm like, okay, a bit of wind. And then he's like, poo-poo, poo-poo. And I'm like, literally, he's in the bubble bath and he told me he's just done a poo-poo. So I'm literally just grabbed him, lifted him up. Like, how do I clean this? Or how, how do I know what's going on? So I thought, do you know what? Social media is good for this. So I took a little photo and I said, people help me. Is there poo in the bath or isn't there poo in the bath? And people are like, wow. there's poo in the bath. There's poo in the bath. <laughs> and so I had to go downstairs, get like a sieve from the kitchen or the play area, wherever it was, and literally scoop mm. it out. I'm like, am I doing it right? And people are like on social media, yeah, it's to the left, damn it. It's to the left. I've got one baby in my hand. I've got the sieve in the other hand trying to scoop up. Oh, my, yeah. So there's it challenges. But <laughs> but it's all part of life, right? It's, it's kind of... If that's all I've had to deal with, yeah, I'm, 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 I think I've been quite lucky. The fact that you can laugh at it, the fact that you can, you know, because some people might have panicked in that situation and not gone to social media. They, they may have been just uh, at home trying to deal with it and, and not had a good time. But you embraced it, took it to social media and, and dealt with the matter. Absolutely. Otherwise, it would have been FaceTime to see her at work. And she'll probably be in a meeting going, yeah, the poo's to the left, damn it. The poo's... And her colleagues are so used to me just FaceTiming randomly saying, where's the baby? Where's the baby gone? Because what we would do, obviously, I could never hear where, the, where, where Abby was, even if it was crawling. So he would wear little purse bells. So every right. time he would walk around, it, it would kind of jingle. When it stops making the noise, that's when I get worried because he stopped yeah. somewhere. Where is he? And sometimes he just wouldn't make any noise for a while. And I'm like, Kika, find Abby. And Kika will go, no, I'm going to bed, you know? So I'd be on my hands and knees trying to find the baby and it'll, he'll be sat on the sofa or something. Um, so that's when FaceTime kind of comes out and I'm like, where's the baby, Seema? Where's the baby? You mentioned something there that really pricked my ears up. So you said to Kika, your guide dog, find the baby and Kika decided no. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Aren't, they, aren't guide dogs always on duty? No, so when her harness goes on, She's okay. in work mode. She's right. she's like the 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 you know she's an amazing guy. The when the harness comes off, she's a she's a I don't know, she's a crazy blonde Labrador who who for us we luckily she gets on with the kids. She you knows she let the kids ride her like a horse. Uh, but it gets to a point where she just needs her time. She needs Kika time, and that's when you know Abby's either sleeping or Nushka's sleeping, and she'll kind of go off to her bed. Um, she's kind of. I guess she kind of helps me look after Abby and Anushka when we're, when we're on our own, but she obviously needs her time. So, you know, the two of them are thicker thieves most of the time, but when she needs her time, she'll, she's off. She, she's gone. She's bolted. Um, and she's like, no, daddy, you, you sort it out yourself. Um, but yeah, she's a, she's a funny character. Oh, she's the fifth family member and probably the most essential family member. Yeah. She was a practice, I think for, for having a kid because, um, you know, it's, it's, it was just me and Seema for a while. And then when Kika came along, it was very much, you know, Kika's the first thing you think about in the morning and the last thing you think about at night. 
she was a very touchy-feely dog. She needed someone with her all the time. Um, and obviously she was with me most of the day. She was out and about with me. So for me, it, it wasn't that she was, a, she was a pet. She wasn't a guide dog. She was a member of the family. I talk to her like I talk to our kids. I say, thank you, goodbye. How are you to Kiko? And all, you know, and she... And I think my parents and Seema's parents saw Kiko as the first grandchild um, in, a, in a funny way. It's, you know, Kiko came to us when she was 18 months old. And the funny thing is the Kiko, Kiko was named at birth. All the Kika's litter were the K litter. So she's, her, sis, her siblings are Kika, Cola, Cuba, apart from one which was called Bo, who was a sponsored dog. But the rest of all the litters are all Ks. And yeah. Kika happens to be my mother-in-law's maiden name. And Kika's wow. the only Kika and guide dog. Um, so Seema's cousins on her mum's side are all Kikas. Um, same spelling as well. And Kika was actually born two weeks before I lost my sight. So as I was learning to be a, be a blind person, I guess, and live my life as a visually impaired person, Kika was going through guide dog training. So, you know, it was, it was meant to be. You mentioned something earlier that I wanted to come back to. And you said Anushka, because she's grown up in the pandemic, that um, she's a bit more wary when she goes outside and things like that. Do you think growing up that she's noticed that Kika, when Kika's outside with you, Kika goes into a different mode. And so she goes into a different mode as well. Like it's a family knowledge or a family thing that happens. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, I think that's watching her brother. Because when we would say, when I would say, let's go for a walk... Abby would go and get his, go and get his uh, uh, trainers on, uh, get his coats on, and then he'll bring Kika's lead and harness over. And I, I would harness them up. And Anushka, obviously Kika, Kika walks on my left-hand side, so it's only my right hand, which is free. So Abby would kind of, he walks by himself now, but Anushka would always run round and grab my right hand. And I think... I think she knows that even when we're out and about, she doesn't distract Kika, which is, which is quite funny because the two of them are probably closer than Abby was with, with Kika. Um, I think it's purely because we've been in the house all the time with, you know, with, with Abby, Kika would, would be working quite a lot and he'd be at nursery or at school or whatever it was. But with Anushka, we've been in that kind of close, you know, close closeness for, for, for a year now. And Kika's always been there. So Anushka's safe place is Kika's bed. You know, when she when I tell her off, when she when she's done something naughty and I've told her off, she would go and run into Kika's bed and she would hug Kika. Aww. I want to delve a little bit back now into your parents and the way you were brought up. Your parents moved to the UK from India, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so my you my, laugh. Go on. Yeah, my my mum's my mum's a, a, a proper character here. My, my, my parents moved to Croydon from Mumbai. And for, for a year or so, my mum my and dad are living in Croydon. And it's where, where a huge part of the Gujarati community kind of moved to. It's kind of settled, I guess. And after about a year or so, my mum said to my dad, it's, you know, Croydon's full of, of Asians. It's, it's barely, you know, it, it, we're supposed to be in the United Kingdom. You know, it, it feels like everybody from Mumbai has kind of come across with us. Um, and it doesn't feel like we're in, we're in England. And my mum my said to my dad, look, you know, I'll give you an ultimatum. It's either we move out of Croydon or we move back to Mumbai. Um, so my, my, at, that, at that time, my dad was working for the MOD uh, and he, we, we transferred to, he, he got moved to, to Guildford and Surrey, where now we're the only brown people 
in in in, in, wow. the, in the village. But my mum, my mum was very much well. Look, we we moved here, and I was about three years old when we when we did when we did the move. So very very young. And my mum said, my mum always said to me, look, you know, we we moved to England for a better life. Um, and you know, you we're we're practicing Hindus, but we live in a Christian country. Um, and I want you to have the best of both worlds. I want you to, to understand where you live, but I don't want you to ever forget, you know, your your culture, your religion and, and the family values that we, you know, we, we brought with us. Um, and my my parents are very much open to this, you know, and 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 they put us, me and my brother both went to a Church of England school. We went yeah. both went to Bible study. Uh, on on a Sunday, um, wow. and we we love that, and and it's because my parents wanted us to kind of integrate into the community, wanted not not to be, you know, segregated, or we, they wanted us to understand the culture and 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 the traditions of of being being a Brit. Now we've spoken before. Uh, I mean, you've come on dad chats, and we've had we've had talks before. And I want to, if if you don't mind, get into some of the more difficult things that you've had to face being a blind parent, because you have, haven't you? There's there's comments you've heard, there's responses you've seen, you've had Seema tell you about different sides of it. It's a tough tough thing, isn't it? Yeah. Do you know what? I, when I when when I kind of started kind of accepting my sight loss, I don't think. The one thing I never really thought about is how other people saw me. I never, never really thought about that. I thought, you know, if you had the white cane, you had a guide dog, you're kind of walking around, people will either give you space or they'll come and help you. Because that's what I would yeah. do. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's, that's how I thought everybody was, you know, a bit naive of me. But I thought, you know, it's, it's a big giveaway. Uh, you're walking around with a, you know, a, a long white cane, you're tapping away. Um, it was, I guess, from the beginning, it was when even before the kids came along, when people barged me out the way, pushed me, or I'd say, you know, disabled people or blind people shouldn't ride the trains at peak time because if anything happened, do we help you or do we help ourselves first? You know, you kind of hear comments like that or white or, or, or things like people think that you live on benefits if you're disabled. Uh, like, oh, I pay for your trainers. You know, just randomly people coming up to you, you know, oh, they're nice trainers, I pay for those. I'm like, what do you mean? And like, oh, you're, you know, being blind, you're living on benefits, you must have your house paid for. I'm like, well, I have a mortgage like everybody else, you know, and I have to work like everybody else. Awful, absolutely awful. But then for every bad attitude, you know, you've got a hundred good people out there to help you. Um, but but I guess sometimes when you have a bad situation, it kind of sticks in your head and you kind of and it kind of it buries itself in there. And it and it kind of the next time you have a bad attitude, it kind of gets, you know, you kind of think about it more and more and more and more. And you think, oh, is this how People, you know, see me it's just like, as a blind guy walking around, you know, catching a train at seven o'clock in the morning because he feels like it. But when Ab, when when Abby was born, the first moment actually was when he was when he was born. I actually went from the the birthing unit to went down to a coffee shop in the in the hospital to, to grab a coffee, and a guy came up to me and said, "Oh, congratulations! You know, you were also in the I, you know." He said, "I noticed you in the birthing center. So I believe you've had just had a baby." Blah blah. So we're kind of congratulating ourselves, and he, and he said he's just had a baby as well. So it's like, "Oh, congratulations!" And then he said, "I didn't realize blind people could have kids." What? I thought, "Wow!" Um, and I thought, I, "And I thought, oh, do you know what? He probably just meant it as a joke." Being a doctor, obviously, went into quite dramatic detail on how. You have kids and everything, and uh, and and people in you the coffee shop. Birds and the bees. Yeah, the four birds and the bees, but in quite a lot of detail as well. <laughs> and then you get, and you, I can hear that. I can hear people going, "Oh my god!" You know, what's he saying? Because the coffee shop was quite full, and and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to do this. You know, good for you. And I told Seema something, so we kind of laughed it off. 
but it was it was very much when I I did the the nursery run for the first time or took my son to to beta, to to rhyme time at a local library because the 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 local library were really amazing. We've got we've got a really really nice library just down the road to us, and all the staff know us. Mm. Um, and they make you know you walk in they're like oh hi I'm here they treat me like everybody and I love that I love the fact that it's not oh how can I help oh there's a bookshelf here oh you're gonna you're gonna bump into things they just treat me like everybody else and I love that so we had we had um, rhyme time at a local library and I took my son in and I had Kika with me and parents and obviously I was I, at that time I was the only dad in there and I was the only disabled person in there as well and the parents would want to rip talk to the Kika before I'd want to talk to me and obviously Kika's in harness she's working and she's she's beside me so we're, we're sat down in a, in a circle Kika's next to me and I would have to tell parents that you know you can't talk to the dog because you're going to distract her um, and she's working and obviously if she moves around I can't look after her and and Abby at the same time and people think I've been rude and then it got to a point where nobody would let their kids play with Abby and it just got to a point where you kind of go there and you're the only one in there and Abby wants to play with everybody else. But when every time Abby goes to off towards a kid, you know, mum would pull her away or pull them away or take him away. And I thought, oh, do you know what? I can't do this because it's just hard work. And Abby's not having fun. Um, so we'd go to the park. And then even in the park, you'd hear parents say, well, you know, his guide dog, you're looking after him. But how is he looking after his son? You know, what if something happens? And you kind of think, well, you're only about three feet away from me. I can hear Awful. everything you say. Awful, um, absolutely awful. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. And this is when Seema would say, you know, even the pleasant conversations you'd have with parents, you know, their eyes are rolling um, because they don't believe what you say, but you can look after a kid and all of this. And and you kind of think, well, the parents really think that, you know, the parents really think that, you know, having a disability means you can't be a parent. You know, I'm not the I'm not the first yeah. blind parent. I'm never gonna be, I'm not gonna be the last blind parent. You know, there's thousands and millions of us out there, and we do we do a great job. But I think it's people's, I think it's their fear of how would yeah. they cope if they were in that situation rather than how is he coping? Um, because my kids, they don't know any difference, you know, and the first thing I think about is their safety every time I go out and mm. do anything. So, you know, I've got all of that in mind. I know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm confident enough to, if I need help, I would ask for help. So it's, it's, I think it's their fears more than my fears that they kind of take out on you. And if they, you know, they feel, well, vacant parent as a vision impaired person, how can he do it? And it's weird that you would go up to a stranger and say things like that. You wouldn't say it's a sighted person. I don't know why you yeah, would say exactly. it to a, a vision exactly. impaired person. I love when people interact with me in a park and they talk to me like a normal parent. Yeah. I love that. But you know what? Because sometimes I'm, I've kind of got my guard up and I know someone's approaching me because I can hear them. And I'm thinking they're going to talk about my sight loss because people, their first question is, have you always been blind or how did you yeah. lose your sight is, is what people come out with. But when people say, oh, I, I love, I love your kids jump up. I love that. You know, I love, I love talking about normal things. You know, I don't want to talk about my disability or my, my sight loss or anything. I love talking about what everybody else does. And a lot of people now are confident in talk going up, approaching disabled people and talk, just having a conversation. So, uh, you know, it's for me, I think it's, it's getting better. The thing is, you don't just parent. There's a lot of other things that you've got going on in your life. And I just wanted to touch briefly on a couple of them. You are a trustee at the charity, the Vision Foundation. Now, what do they get involved with? There's a lot of blind people who are unemployed. Is that right? Yeah. So the, the do you know what? The Vision Foundation is, I've, I've literally just become a trustee. Uh, it was December last year. 
and it was a is a is a it's a it's a charity that's actually a grant giving charity so what it what it does is it will fund projects for other charities for small communities for visually impaired people to kind of either get back to back on track with you know technology get the use of technology to get back into employment uh with independent living so so very you know it, it's it's a it's a charity that works within within the within london but its main goal its its big focus at the moment is employment within the visually impaired vision impaired community it, it's something i think the stats are something like one out of ten visually impaired person is in work so it's it's absolutely insane that you know you can go you can be vision impaired you can go through mainstream school, college, university, come out with a degree like everybody else. Yeah. The moment you put visually impaired on an application form, you kind of get pushed to the back of the line. Um, and that's that's absolutely insane. That's crazy. So nine out of 10 visually impaired people basically are unemployed because uh, people don't want to hire them yet. Yeah, because of their sight loss. So Vision Foundation, uh, they're their centenary year at the moment. They want to raise a million pounds this year wow. to help get vision people back into the workplace. We're, and they, we're working with we're working with a lot of um, organisations, a lot of um, lot of companies to try and get people to to even get you know work experience to get people into and, and actually take that stigma away. Yeah. So you know, it's having sight loss doesn't mean your life is over. For me personally, my life has never ever been this good. You know, I am, I am, I feel the best I've ever felt. I have amazing people around me. I, I am, I'm confident with my sight yes. loss, um, and it's and it's taken a while to get it. You know, I've had plenty of knocks, but those knocks have actually just made me stronger and stronger and stronger and kind of more willing to kind of carry on. For for me, I'm living my best days. It's so great to hear you talking so positively about the situation. I mean, you're giving back with the charity, the Vision Foundation. It's great that you're in such a positive place. Is that what led you to write a book? Because you've written a book, haven't you, about your whole situation? Yeah, so writing about the book was hard because it meant thinking about the, the dark times. Yeah. And actually sitting down and actually writing about how I really felt. And the book is very, very honest. It's It's got the, the good and the bad and the ugly. It's all in there. And I thought, well, you can only appreciate the good if you understand the bad. You know, and and the heartbreak, and and all the all the all the issues you have, and all the barriers you had, because that's when you can appreciate the end of it. Um, but it's 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 more of a book, not more. But it's not really about the sight loss journey. It's more about our journey yeah. and about the emotions and 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 you know the the community around you, and that it's okay to go and ask for help. But the lovely thing is that I wanted to get Anushka into the book. Uh, we're about we're about three weeks late for the deadline, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm just have to finish a little bit, and and the book literally got sent to the editors the day Anushka was born because I wanted to put her name in it. So I wanted to put, you know, because I wanted it to be dedicated. Oh. Okay, well, Dr. Amit, there is one question that we ask all of our Dadvengers who come on the podcast before they go. Okay, and this is a question for you, and I was I'm, I might have to put a stipulation in there, but let's see where you go oh. first. If you could have one dad superpower, what would it be? Children's whisperer. Ooh. You know, when, when, we're, when we're young, you know, when we're, when we're crying, I want to understand what those cries are. That's that, it's as simple as that. You know, it's, it's, I, can, I think I can deal with everything else. It's, it's, it's the not knowing. 
you know what? You've picked like the same one as me because mine was like to be able to touch my children and, and, and know exactly what they're feeling or and that empathy to just be able to do that. So yours is, yeah, children's whisperer. That's it. I'm down with that one. You know, but, but, I, but everything else, I, I can kind of live with everything else. It's, it's more, of a, more of an adventure, I guess. Nice. Very, very well done. Very, very good answer. Very good chats. Thank you so much for being here today. It's been a pleasure listening to you. Hopefully, well, I know there'll be loads of people that will get so much from the insight that you've given into being a blind parent. And, and hopefully it will go towards changing things a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And do you know what? Don't be afraid to to approach disabled, visually impaired people. Sometimes people are just a little bit wary because they're not sure how to approach. Yeah. I think, you know, a lot of people want to interact and then, you know, but it's that, oh, will I offend that person? Or I'm not quite sure. Do you know, go with your gut feeling. Just, just go and introduce yourself. Dr. Ramit, thank you so much. I'll see you at Dad Chat soon anyway, mate. So don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, Nigel. What an incredible story from an incredible dad. And so inspiring to see someone who's gone through such a life-changing experience be so positive. I think if Amit can move forward and be the best dad he can be, we all can. Thank you so much for listening. And if you have time, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you thought of this episode or of the series as a whole. And don't forget, you can subscribe or follow using your preferred podcast platform to be first to hear the episodes. If you'd like to find out more about Dadvengers, head to dadvengers.com where you can find out more information about our live chats, about our meetups, quizzes, blog posts, and more. This has been the Dadvengers podcast, sponsored by Tonka, because being tough is all about getting out and playing. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel-Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.